our attention to Psalm 23. We've been in a section of Psalms that are particularly focused on God's anointed king. David is the, the author of these Psalms, and we've seen a number of different aspects of David and his kingship. Uh, at the center of all of these Psalms are uh, is Psalm uh, 19. So this section goes from Psalm 15 to Psalm 24. And at the center was Psalm 19. And uh, in that, David particularly focuses on God's word, his revelation, how he's made himself known. Uh, because at the heart of all of these psalms, from Psalm 15 to Psalm 24, is David as the anointed king in his intimate relationship with his God. Uh, the, the king of God's people was meant to be uh, meant, meant to lead as God would lead his people. In that sense, he was meant to be sort of a, uh, an image bearer in, in the sense of, of Genesis 1 and 2, uh, to, to have dominion in the way that God would show dominion, and, and the people were to follow their king as he followed Yahweh. And uh, that, that intimate relationship between the king of God's people, often called the shepherd of God's people, and then God himself is on full display in Psalm 23. As we look at Psalm 23 today, um, this is a passage that is familiar to many. It's a passage that has brought great comfort in times of loss. It's a passage that has been a refuge for so many and so I pray that as we dive into Psalm 23 this morning, that that comfort and refuge and the blessing that God gives to us through his word, in particular in Psalm 23, uh, that we would experience that afresh today. If you're able, would you please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word? The Holy Spirit says, a psalm of David, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. Well, speaking of things that are familiar, let me see if you all know what to do with what I'm about to say. God is good, and all the time, 
Oh, that was great. One more time. God is good. And all the time. God is good. All the time? All? Now, certainly in church, we're going to agree, yes, God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. But do you believe that? In loss? Is God still good at that time? In a time of need, is God good in that time? When you have wandered away from the Lord, is God good at that time? When you're experiencing severe pain, physically, spiritually, is God good at at that time. God is good. But is he, is he only good maybe occasionally? Yeah, he absolutely is good. You know, from time to time. Something really good happens. Oh, God is good. Is God good maybe even often? Like most of the time, God is good. Is God good... You know, only for a while, but eventually his goodness runs out because he messed up again. Or is it that God is good only in the future and right now things aren't that good, but maybe one day God will be good. We know what we would say with our mouths, but I would ask, what do you believe in your heart when circumstances are not good do you still believe God is good well I believe God has brought us to Psalm 23 today to convince us that the goodness of Jesus to his people never stops the goodness of of Jesus to his people never stops. That's the main thing I want us to see today, and we're going to see it in two different ways in Psalm 23. First, in verses 1 through 4, we're going to see how Jesus leads us as the good shepherd in this life. And second, we'll see that Jesus has goodness waiting for us in eternity. The goodness of Jesus to his people never stops. So first, Jesus leads us as the good shepherd in this life. We see that in verses 1 through 4. David begins this psalm declaring, Yahweh is my Shepherd. David was a shepherd. Whenever Samuel, the prophet, went to anoint one of the sons of Jesse to be the next king of Israel, David wasn't at the house because he was keeping the sheep. 
He's a shepherd. That's what shepherds do. When David went to try and convince King Saul that he was qualified to go face Goliath, he pointed to his experience as a shepherd, having killed lions and bears who came and threatened his sheep. David was a shepherd, and he looks at his role as a shepherd, the care of a shepherd, the provision of a shepherd, the leadership of a shepherd, the protection of a shepherd. And he sees that role and he sees God is the perfect shepherd to me. Of course, in the New Testament, Jesus is described as the ultimate shepherd. Jesus himself in John 10, 11 said, I am the good shepherd. Peter identifies Jesus as the chief shepherd. And so as we look at Psalm 23, we can rightly understand and read this psalm to be ultimately fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. As we see this portrait of the shepherd, in verses 1 and 2, the first thing that David points out to us is the shepherd's provision. The shepherd's provision. The shepherd's provision to David is so complete so satisfying that David is able to say, I shall not want. I have what I need. I lack nothing. Can you imagine being able to say that? I am so satisfied. I am so content that I can say, I don't want anymore. How many times a day do you say, I want, I want, I want this, I want that. Oh, you know, I want to do this or I want to do What if you were able to be so content that you could say, I don't want anymore. That is how satisfied David is in his God, his shepherd. David describes the shepherd's provision in verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. The shepherd provides rest for his sheep. The shepherd provides nourishment for his sheep. The shepherd provides refreshment for his sheep. The the shepherd cares and makes sure that his sheep have everything that they need. And this is the kind of provision that we have in the good shepherd, Jesus. Jesus provides rest in himself. He says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus provides nourishment in himself. In John 6.35, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus, the good shepherd, provides refreshment in himself. Jesus said in John 7, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, 
as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus provides us in himself everything we need. When you're weary, Jesus has what you need. When you're lacking, Jesus has what you need. When you're empty, Jesus has what we need. In 2 Peter, in chapter 1, verse 3, Peter writes this, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. Everything we need is in Him. It's in a person. If you trust in Christ, you can say, I shall not want. What would change in your life if you could actually believe that in Jesus you have all that you need? What would that do to your discontentment with stuff, your discontentment in your relationships, your discontentment at your job. If you truly believe in Jesus, I have everything I need. If we believe this, it dispels jealousy for the things that other people have. It dispels envy toward people who were blessed in ways that we weren't. It dispels greed and insatiable desire for more when we already have everything that we need. It dispels fear and anxiety about where's the thing going to come from that I'm looking for because I already have what I need in Jesus. It dispels self-reliance and relying on myself as if I have everything I need in me or I can get everything I need. Because, no, 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 I, I shall not want because he has all that I need. If Jesus has all that we need, if we have all that we need in him, it gets us over the praise of man. I don't need applause or approval. I don't need a good reputation among people if Jesus has all that I need, if I'm accepted and approved in Him. It relieves us of basing our life around our performance, finding our value and our satisfaction and what others think about us, how we work, what we've done, how good we are compared to others, because what we need is not found in our performance. What we need is found in Christ. If in Christ we have everything we need, then we can be relieved of the need to be understood. We can be misunderstood and know 
we still have everything that we need. That dispels materialism. Living for the here and now and what we can get and loving things because the things of this world aren't what we need. We have everything we need in Jesus. Through faith in Christ, we can say, I shall not want. We can say, I shall not want because of the shepherd's provision. Next, David describes the shepherd's leadership in verse 3. And he describes two aspects of the shepherd's leadership. First, he says, he restores my soul. We've seen this word restore before. In Psalm 19, verse 7, David said, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. It's that same word, reviving the soul, restoring the soul. It's the idea of bringing you back where you need to be. It could even have the sense of repentance. When a sheep wanders away, the good shepherd restores the sheep, brings the sheep back to the right path. David also says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Whatever path the good shepherd leads his sheep on is a righteous path. After all, his name is on the line. For the sake of his own reputation, the shepherd leads his own in the paths that he deems to be right, even if that path at times goes through a dark valley, as we'll see. But this is the kind of leadership that Jesus provides as the good shepherd. He brings back wandering sheep he restores the souls of a sheep turn with me to matthew 18 and verse 12 matthew 18 verses 12 and 13 jesus says what do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. Aren't you glad that the good shepherd never lets his sheep go astray without chasing them down. If you have wandered astray, you may look at how far you've strayed and be really discouraged. You may wonder if there's any hope of ever getting back to where you once were. But take heart. Jesus will never lose you. Jesus said in John 10, 27 and 28, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus 
will never lose you. And so if Jesus has stopped you in your tracks and made you aware that you are wandering, recognize that is his mercy toward you. If Jesus has caused you to realize you've gone astray, you've wandered, you need to understand that Jesus is not trying to rub your nose in the mess that you've made. He is trying to restore your soul. Jesus restores as the good shepherd. But Jesus wants to restore our souls so that he can bring us back to the paths of righteousness that he wants to lead his sheep down. There's two ways that we may struggle to believe that Jesus truly leads us in paths of righteousness. Uh, The first way we might struggle would sound like this. The path that Jesus says is righteous isn't good for me. Jesus has laid out in his word what righteousness looks like. But we might say, no, that what Jesus says is righteous is not good for me. I, I don't need what the Bible says. I'm walking through the path of my own experience. I'm walking on the path of the experts. I'm walking on the path of street smarts. I'm walking on the path of fill in the blank. But Psalm 119.9 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Jesus, when he says that a path is righteous, it is good for us. The the other way that we might struggle to believe that Jesus wants to lead us in paths of righteousness, it, it would sound like this. The path Jesus has me on is so hard, Jesus must not be righteous. He's leading me down this, but this is so bad, he must not be righteous. The pain is too severe for Jesus to be righteous and lead me down this path. The loss is too much for Jesus to be righteous and lead me down this path. But Psalm 119.71 says, It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. The path of righteousness may not always be pleasant or comfortable or easy. In fact, Jesus said that way is narrow and it's hard that leads to life. But there is a purpose in the pain. There is a purpose in the trial. There is a purpose in the suffering. And Jesus is righteous and good even when the path that he leads us on is difficult. So we've seen the provision of the shepherd. We've seen the shepherd's leadership. And then in verse 4, we see the shepherd's protection. Turn back with me to Psalm 23 and verse 4 and see the shepherd's protection. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff They comfort me. The right path at times is a path through a dark valley. A dark valley is a dangerous place. A dark valley is a place that is uh, is prime for an evildoer who wants to do harm. A, A dark valley provides an evildoer the cloak of darkness 
and it provides an evildoer the, the high ground above his prey in the valley. The dark valley is a dangerous place. But David does not fear any evil that may threaten him as he walks through a dark valley. Why? Because his shepherd is with him through the valley. In fact, David turns here in this psalm and he stops talking about his shepherd in the third person. And he says, I will not fear for you are with me. His God, his shepherd is close enough with him in the valley that he can speak to him. You are with me now here in the valley of the shadow of death. The shepherd's presence with him brings comfort because the shepherd is carrying with him a rod and a staff. The rod was a weapon used to fend off wild animals who would threaten the sheep. The staff was used to guide and control the sheep. The sheep were safe when the shepherd was present because the shepherd would both protect them from dangerous attackers and he would keep them from falling into danger themselves. From danger without, from danger within, the shepherd's rod and staff brought protection. This is the kind of protection that Jesus provides. This is the kind of protection that Jesus taught us to pray for. Remember in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from the evil one. We need Jesus' rod to fend off the enemy and we need Jesus' staff to protect us from temptation. Jesus' protection comes to us ultimately through his death on the cross. Turn with me to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, starting in verse 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Do you notice in verse 11 and verse 15, Jesus' first explanation, his first qualification for what makes him the good shepherd? I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I lay down my life for the sheep. The protection that the good shepherd offers, that no hired hand would ever offer, the protection that only Jesus can offer, comes because he laid down his life for his sheep. Jesus can protect us with his rod. He can protect us with his rod against the enemy who would come at us. 
He can protect us from the devil who has the power of death because in his death, Jesus destroyed the devil. You can see that in Hebrews 2, 14, that through his death, Jesus destroyed the devil who has the power of death. It is because of his death, because he laid down his life, that he can be the good shepherd who defends against the enemy with his rod. But it's also because Jesus and uh, because Jesus died for us that he can, with his shepherd, protect us from sin. Jesus can protect us as the good shepherd from sin because he has freed us from sin by his blood. It was because he laid his life down for his sheep and he died for sin that he can protect us from sin. He can lead us not into temptation. Because Jesus laid down his life for his sheep, we can trust him as the good shepherd. So turn back with me to Psalm 23. We've seen David describe in beautiful detail the goodness that his God, his shepherd, has shown to him. But David does more than just rehearse the goodness of God to him in the past. He also anticipates goodness coming to him in the future. In this second part of Psalm 23, we see that Jesus has goodness waiting for us in eternity. Jesus has goodness waiting for us in eternity. In verse 5, David shifts from the picture of a shepherd to the picture of a feast. Yahweh is preparing a table for David in the presence of his enemies. This is a victory feast. It might be that the picture is David sitting at this table and his enemies are even sitting at the table with him. It might be that uh, David has this feast before me, sitting at the table, and the enemies are present, but they're present as bound prisoners of war watching him enjoy the victory feast. Or it might be the picture is even that David is having this feast on the very battlefield where the victory against the defeated enemies took place. But in any case, this is a picture of Yahweh rewarding his king with abundance and making a bold statement right there in front of the enemies and for all who would watch that David has triumphed over his enemies and Yahweh has vindicated his king. He sits or he lays before him a victory feast. Uh, He anoints his head with oil. It it was customary for a host bringing a a guest into their home for the feast to, to anoint the guest of honor with oil. Again, God is showing his abundance and goodness to this victor. Then David describes this overflowing cup. Uh, We've seen already in the Psalms how this picture of the cup is a picture of abundant blessing. Back in Psalm 16, 5, David said, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. Uh, This is a picture of this abundant feast, this overflowing blessing that God has given in the face of the enemies, in the presence of the enemies. When Jesus, our shepherd, returns, he will invite us to join him 
for a victory feast. We're reminded of this every time we take the Lord's Supper together. Jesus told his disciples on that night that he was betrayed when he had that last supper with his disciples that I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until I drink it anew with you in my kingdom. Every time we take the Lord's Supper, we're reminded we're waiting for a feast that is to come. Revelation 19 paints the picture of the marriage supper of the Lamb that will happen when Jesus returns. When Jesus returns, there's a number of things in Revelation 19 that are associated with that moment. One of them is that he will strike down the nations with a rod of iron, like Psalm 2 talked about. He will pour out the cup of God's wrath on the enemies of God and on the enemies of God's people. But for those who belong to the Lamb, they will experience not the cup of God's wrath, but the overflowing cup of God's goodness. Consider the joy of being free from all the enemies that confront us in this life. That day, every person who has ever wronged you will be brought to justice. And we will enjoy God's goodness in peace and security. That day, wickedness and the sinful pleasures of this world, both the evil against us from the world and the seduction of the world, will be gone. And we'll be free just to delight in God and His blessings without corruption, without idolatry. That day our sin nature will be removed from us as far as the east is from the west. And we will enjoy God in purity and holiness. This is the victory that Jesus has won for us. It's the future goodness that we have to look forward to. David concludes Psalm 23 in verse 6. Let's read this again. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David expects that the goodness that he has already experienced will continue. The provision, the leadership, the protection, all of that is not just a, a one-time thing. No, he expects that this goodness will continue all the days of his life. That word mercy is often translated steadfast love. It's God's covenant love, his promise-keeping love and faithfulness. And David says that goodness and steadfast love follow him all the days of his life. That word follow, don't hear follow and think kind of lingering from a distance. No, think pursuit, chase. God has promised that for his king, for his people, goodness and faithfulness are going to relentlessly run after his people all the days 
of our lives. But it doesn't just stop at all the days of our lives. Because David goes on to say, I shall dwell in the house of Yahweh forever. God's goodness lasts longer than a lifetime. As David says, I will dwell in the house of Yahweh forever. What we recognize here is that the the feast that Yahweh hosts him for, he's not a one-time guest at an abundant feast. David is a permanent resident in the house of Yahweh. Of course, this makes a lot of sense with what we've already seen in this section of Psalms. The section began in Psalm 15, verse 1. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? David's expectation is, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Uh, we see this also after this section in Psalm 27, 4. You can flip over there if you'd like. Psalm 27, 4. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will, that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. Well, just like was true of David's experience, the goodness that we experience in Christ will never stop. The goodness of Jesus to His people will never stop. I think one of the clearest places we see this in the New Testament is in Ephesians 2. Turn with me to Ephesians 2. Paul says in verse 1, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Apart from Christ, all of us are not on paths of righteousness, We are walking in trespasses and sins. Apart from Christ, we are not following the good shepherd. We're following the devil himself. Apart from Christ, we should not expect an overflowing cup of blessing. Instead, if we're apart from Christ, the only thing we should experience and anticipate is the cup of God's wrath. Verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So even though we were walking according to the pattern of this world, walking in sins and trespasses, by the grace of God, Jesus made us alive, brought us on to paths of righteousness. Even though we were following the devil, the prince of the power of the air, Jesus brought us to himself so that we could follow the good shepherd. Even though we should have experienced nothing but the cup of God's wrath, Jesus has brought us by his grace to receiving the cup of blessing 
But Paul doesn't stop there. There's more. Verse 7. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. As blessed as we are now in Christ, freedom from sin, freedom from penalty, freedom from condemnation, the presence of the Holy Spirit with us, go down the line as blessed as we are in Christ, he has barely even gotten started. Blessings that you cannot measure are waiting for you in the house of the Lord forever and ever and ever. The goodness we experience in Christ will never stop. In this world, we will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But not only is our shepherd with us through the valley, he will continue to bless us even when the valley is behind us. Turn one last place to Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7, verses 13 through 17. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. If we have trusted in the blood of the Lamb to wash us white, Psalm 23 will be our song for all of eternity. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the goodness you've shown us in Christ. The goodness that Lord, is ours every day, whether we see it or not. And Lord, the goodness 
that will never stop for endless ages. Lord, I pray that we would live in the good of your goodness. That we would say with David, I shall not want. Would we trust in our shepherd who laid his life down for us and anticipate the day that we dwell with him in your house for all of eternity. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.